We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Ditch the busy work. Use Indeed for scheduling, screening, and messaging so you can connect with candidates faster. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences, so the more you use Indeed, the better it gets. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying that you heard about Indeed on this podcast. That's Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. What's up, y'all? It's Drewski, and I've teamed up with Mountain Dew to produce a hilarious new basketball podcast called The Dew Zone with Drewski. Learn the backstories of your favorite ballers and celebrities like Jamal Murray. Did you have, like, a favorite team? Was it the Raptors at the time or no? Was the Raptors even started around that time? Come on, bro. I ain't that old, fam. <laughs> You're talking like I'm 50. Taylor Rooks, Asia Wilson, and many more. You won't want to miss this. Listen to The Do Zone with Drewski on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, and wherever you listen to podcasts. The Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Feel like Kobe in a fourth quarter. This is the Dane Moore NBA Podcast. We are brought to you by ZoneCoverage.com and the Zone Coverage Podcast Network. Today is March 19th, which means we are now eight days into the NBA being, being shut down um, as I record this in response to the outbreak of the coronavirus. Um, what I want to say before getting into anything in this podcast is that that will be the last time um, I say coronavirus on this episode, not because it's not important. Um, but just because I don't, yeah, it's for a few reasons. It's just, first, I don't think, um, if you want information on that topic, I'm not the person to go to. Um, second, if you want banter about what people are doing in their quarantine, quarantining, is that the word? Uh, I, I don't know. I'm personally just kind of, you know, kind of sick of that. And, you know, I'm looking more so for the escapism and all that. And I think, that we've all kind of gotten to the point where we've watched plenty of Netflix and, you know, escaping into something else is is probably valuable right now. I do think we still have things that we can talk about um, with the Timberwolves and with the NBA. So I'm going to get into that, but I'll just say this. Please take care of yourselves. Um, obviously, take the precautions to limit your exposure, but um, but take care of yourself. Take care of yourself physically and mentally. Eat well. Try and find ways to exercise. I think, you know, physical health is important in this time, of course. And then, you know, social isolation can be unhealthy. Find, you know, find responsible ways to socially interact because uh, I think our mental health is just as important in this time, too. It's it's going to get weird um, the, the longer we get into uh, these isolated sort of situations. But, again, that's it. That's all I got. What do we got? minute and 40 seconds in. Um, no more coronavirus. We, dang it, I said coronavirus. <laughs> Today, instead, I'm going to dig into Aaron Gordon, which seems uh, really specific. Um, that's a player, obviously, we've talked about a little bit on here before. But I, I, I do think um, 
to me, one of the most important questions and most difficult questions to answer for the Timberwolves, you know, next season and going forward is what they will do at the power forward position. Um, I think it's an important question uh, because we, we know that the point guard and center positions are pretty locked up with, you know, D'Lo and Cat. Uh, the wings have some question marks, but Josh Kogi is under contract for the next two seasons. Jarrett Culver for the next three. Yeah, Malik Beasley is a restricted free agent, but he seems likely to be locked up long-term. The power forward position is just, it's the ambiguous one. Juancho Horn and Gomez has obviously started the 14 post-trade deadline games uh, since he's been here. James Johnson has served, you know, kind of functionally as the backup. Hernan Gomez is also a restricted free agent, but he, he feels, you know, to me, less likely to return than Beasley. Not saying he won't, but just less likely. Um, you know, and even if Hernan Gomez does come back, you know, we don't know that. I think there's a, it's up for debate that he's a, a starting caliber, you know, power forward in this league. And then as for Johnson, I mean, he's been fun, but uh, he'll be, he's under contract next year, but he'll be turning 34 next season. He's does not feel like a, a long-term answer. And then I think this is a, a difficult question because it's hard. I, I, it's hard to know exactly what types of power forwards Gerson Rosas wants to have on this roster. We learned this season that a traditional big man is not going to be the answer at that position next to Cat. You know, Gorgie Jang played eight minutes next to Cat all season. I'm assuming most of that was garbage time. Noah Vonley played 25 minutes next to Cat this season. You know, just for some perspective, that's the same amount of time Cat shared the floor with D'Lo this year in just one game, that one game in Toronto. So it just hasn't been a thing. The, the two traditional bigs hasn't been a thing, and I think the first real sign we saw of that, um, that they weren't going to go with two traditional bigs, was when they traded Dario Saric to move up in the draft to select Culver. Uh, Saric was a traditional power forward, and he could even stretch the floor some. He's a 36% three-point shooter um, from three for his career. And I don't know, so if it's if it's not that, as I understand it, Dario was ruled out because they didn't feel like he could play at the pace uh, that they wanted their four to play at. And I think that's the same reason Jang, who also proved he could stretch the floor some, didn't play next to Cat. It, it isn't just about being able to shoot threes. So then that, after Dario, you know, left us asking the question of, like, what what is the archetype of power forward they want, you know? Is it a defensive-minded but also kind of stretchy big like Robert Covington? Uh, it seemed like it for a while, but they, you know, they also traded him. Was what was the motivation behind that? Was it because he couldn't play as fast as they wanted to play? Was it because they wanted a guy who could slash more offensively? Was it just because they thought Covington was just too old and didn't fit the age curve? I, I don't know exactly. I I think it was probably some of all of that. I don't think they felt Covington was the perfect fit next to Cat. You know, as weird as that might sound, given where this team has been defensively, I just think they want something else. So they got something else. Now it was Juancho Hearn and Gomez, but that doesn't seem like it was like the the dream, like, oh, solved, problem solved. Like, we have the archetype. I don't think that's what it is. He's just not that level of player. He has holes in his game. You know, it seems like Hernan Gomez can play fast. Um, he can shoot the three and slash well, but there, there's pretty clear shortcomings there too, you know, particularly on the defensive end, you know, related to kind of his physicality. Um, so I don't know, is maybe the, the ideal sort of archetype, some sort of combination of Covington and Hernan Gomez? Maybe. Um, 
I, I don't know how many of the players are like that. Um, I think that's it's hard to you know make a list and find enough guys that that fit that mold, and then and then it's even harder to go out and acquire them. But I do think, in my opinion, that Aaron Gordon possesses a lot of that sort of you know in theory that archetype. So that's why I kind of chose him to get into. And that's why, you know, a lot of this will be specifically about Gordon, but I, I think in talking about Gordon, we can think about this more, you know, kind of more existentially of like, this is the type of player, this is how, how would this type of player fit in? You know, it, Aaron Gordon, you know, or versions of Aaron Gordon, what would that look like? So we'll dig into what Gordon is like, um, but also just kind of start thinking about a Wolves team what it would look like if this player was in, you know, copy pasted onto the, you know, into the Timberwolves rotation. Um, I do want to say, you know, this isn't just like some, this isn't my dream scenario. I, I'm hoping I'm making it clear that I'm choosing this player because this is what I understand. Um, what I understand their fit, you know, desires to be. Um, I don't, I don't love Gordon's game. i particularly I mean I've, I've learned a lot more of it you know kind of digging into him but he isn't just some player who I'm just like oh I've always been a huge Aaron Gordon fan think he you know think he needs a shot but um you know to be fair I, I can't say I've watched a ton of Aaron Gordon you know in my in my life like it's he plays you know he plays for Orlando so yesterday I did um I would suggest doing this, you know, for, for anyone who's trying to kill, you know, kill some time. Like, well, one league pass is now free on NBA.com. So you can go watch any game, even if you weren't, you know, a league pass subscriber, it can kind of seem weird to go and watch a game that you already know the result to, but I don't know if you want to watch Tyus Jones playing Memphis or w with Gorgie Jang or something, you know, the, that's all available out there and you can, it's what I always do. I always watch games, um, after the fact, because then you can just kind of rip through it in like just over an hour, um, you know, skipping through the commercials and free throws. So I would recommend that. But what I did for Gordon is I, rather than watching some movie or TV show yesterday, I watched um, all of his shot attempts from the season. And I, I did that because Gordon had, he'd, he'd like been on my mind, um, you know, a couple weeks back when the Wolves played the Magic. Um, they played them twice, if you remember, kind of right in that week before the break. So I'd gotten a lot of exposure to Gordon. Um, I watched him play in person at Target Center. Um, I watched him play on TV when they played in Orlando. And then, like I was saying, I always watched the the Wolves' next opponent's previous game. So I picked up two more Orlando games. So I was like, Orlando overload and Aaron Gordon overload, um, <laughs> watching having watched like four Magic games in a week. But it really is, I was watching that, I kept, I kept kind of thinking about this. I kept thinking about Aaron Gordon you know, what is he good at? What isn't he good at? And how would, you know, how would that fit? Um, how would that fit in Minnesota? Um, but really that, that was, I mean, I've watched a couple other Orlando games this year, but I don't, I don't like have a ton of, I think all of us as NBA followers don't have a ton of exposure to, to Gordon. And I, I include myself in that and that's because it's Orlando, you know? Um, and, and, and with that, it, it, it's, it's hard or I think dangerous to sort of shape our opinions of players that, we haven't watched a ton. Um, and I think when we do that, we kind of tend to focus on, we, we tend to shape our opinions on stats, highlights, and what national analysts say about those, about this player. Um, and I think, I think that's, 
it's not doing ourselves a disservice because we can't go watch every team, but it just, to some extent, it just isn't accurate. You know, um, I think to start with stats, the most obvious one is, is three-point shooting, right? Like we can think of a player's three-point percentage as like their, their 2K rating at shooting or something on, and it just, it is what they are as a shooter. And sometimes that's fair, you know, sometimes it isn't. But I think of an example of how it isn't fair that we can all probably relate to is Robert Covington and his three-point shooting percentage this year. When he was in Minnesota, um, you know, for those first 50 games or whatever, he only made 34.6% of his threes. Does that mean Covington is a below-average shooter, like, in his ability? I, I, I would say no. I think any of you who are watching the Wolves would agree that that isn't the case. You I mean, you watched how how difficult the shots were that he had to take. Like, that lowered his three-point percentage more than I think his ability did. And I, I say that because I think there's some of that with Gordon, who is shooting way worse. He's only shooting 30.1% from three this season. And for his career, he's uh, 32% from three, which is which is bad. Don't get me wrong. He is, he's not a good shooter. But I will say after watching all those threes, you know, the, the lower percentage is clearly, you know, as it was with Covington, a product of the shots they asked Gordon to take in Orlando. That's weird. I mean, they give him a really green light and, and he really loves that it's green. Like he, he will fire. And, and that just kind of is a bad cocktail that leads him to being a high volume three point shooter who's shooting 30% from three. I, I think if some of those variable variables were like adjusted, um, that he could be a better three point shooter kind of throughout this, I made a lot of notes about Andrew Wiggins as a comparison for Gordon, which sounds kind of weird, but I think it's definitely relevant here with, with when it connects to shooting. Like, if, if Gordon reworked his shot chart like Wiggins did this season, his, his stats would improve like Wiggins did. I, I really I believe that. I believe it's why Wiggins had a better year. Um, in uh, Outside of three-point shooting, but still, like, it <laughs> – that that would that would make that made a massive change for Andrew Wiggins, and I think it would make a massive change for Aaron Gordon if he was in Minnesota or anywhere else. You know, shooting better shots outside of three point shooting, but again, in that sort of same stats vein of like how we create our perceptions. I think, particularly on defense, which is super hard to assess, we just we just jump right to advanced stats, right? To be like, okay, scroll. What is your defensive block box plus minus or defensive RPM or whatever? And we just kind of label players as good or bad defenders somewhat based off of that. But I, I think Gordon's a, a good like cautionary tale there too. You know, this season, his, his defensive numbers are awesome. He's sixth in the league in defensive uh, real plus minus amongst power forwards. He only trails Giannis, Bam Adebayo, Chris Porzingis, Jason Tatum, and his teammate, Jonathan Isaac. That's obviously a really good caliber of, you know, player to be in. But if you go back and you look at the previous years, you know, the last two years, Gordon was just average defensively in defensive RPM. And in 2016-17, he had one of his wor- he had one of the worst defensive RPMs in the league amongst power forwards. So, so what does that mean? Is, does that mean he's been improving as a defender? Maybe, but it, you know, it might also just be noise. In that 2016-17 season, when his defensive RPM was awful. He had the third best offensive real plus minus in the league amongst power forwards. So then kind of by that same line of logic, does that mean he's just gotten worse at offense over the years? And this season he's 67th in offensive real plus minus. How does a guy go from third one year to 
67th two years later. It, you know, it, it doesn't really make sense. I mean, I, I believe those stats can be helpful, like supplements to sort of our analysis, but they, they, they shouldn't inform our whole opinion, even, even when we have limited exposure. I think it's just sometimes okay to say, well, we don't really know. And, and I think, I think that's, that's part of where we're at with Aaron Gordon. I also think I mentioned highlights. I think highlights are play like a particularly influential role with Gordon and his perception kind of in two senses. Um, it sounds weird, but his being in the dunk contest, I think really shapes his perception. Um, it kind of gets you to believe that that athleticism might really apply to his game. And I'm, I'm not saying Gordon doesn't apply his athleticism, but it's not, it's not like Zion where, where you like see how that speed and high flying ability that, you know, Zion uses in his highlights or just like dunk tapes, it, it like, that applies to his game. You can see that when you watch Zion Williamson, Williamson play. For Gordon, it, it doesn't translate as much. There, sometimes it shows up, and like sometimes you're like, "Wow, that is a you know a special athlete." But if you really go through, he doesn't like. He's not a wow you, like, in the aggregate athlete. It's nowhere as consistent, I think, as some people might think. If you're just kind of judging it based off of his highlights. And that kind of related to this too, and I don't know if highlights is the right word here, but when we just kind of watch snippets of a player over time, whether it's like a little bit of a game here or, you know, highlights on SportsCenter there, like Gordon, as that with Gordon, I, I kind of thought of him as more like soft before really like binge watching him yesterday. And I, I thought that because he just he has so many fadeaway looks and it's, it's really, he really, when he does that, it, it's, you know, it's kind of taking away from that athleticism. It's taking away from that, you know, sort of power he has. But, but as I watched all of it, like, don't, don't get me wrong. Those are like definitely a problem. And we'll, we'll talk about that. Like he, he fades way too much and he does a lot of kind of soft stuff. But I think, you know, for me at least, you know, that, that pretty clearly overshadowed some of his power, which I now like have come to believe is his most underrated skill. Because I was just thinking, oh, he's soft when he fades away sometimes. That must mean he's rarely powerful. And that, you know, that just, that wasn't the case. And what kind of started turning my eyes onto that was those two games against the Timberwolves um, at the beginning of March. When, you know, Gordon's playing against this Timberwolves, like, kid-sized front court. And he just absolutely banged, like, Hernan Gomez and Nasrid and whoever was inside. And just was more physical than they were. Uh, also, another one of those Orlando games that I watched, you know, between the two Wolves ones was, some of you might remember this because Orlando just crushed Houston. They were up by 25 at halftime, but Gordon, like, totally took advantage of a really small Houston front court. Like, he just squished them. Orlando, was, yeah, well, they were up 25 at halftime, and they just, Houston didn't have a shot to kind of compete with their, with Gordon and Vucevic and all of Orlando's physicality, and, and Gordon's a big part of that. I guess what I'm saying is that his play just isn't exactly what you would think or what I, what I thought, I guess, if I, from when I'd only watched him in bits and pieces. So then the, the last sort of part of that, if, if it, we go stats, highlights, and national narratives, um, I think particularly for players like this who play in like Orlando or Charlotte or something like that, we, we rely on we rely on like what the national sort of pundits are telling us. And I, I, I was thinking about this, so I, I texted a friend you know, when putting this together for Gordon and I asked about his perception of him. And the, the friend was like, oh, a lot of, a lot of like clanky jumpers. And I was like, okay, yeah, that's fair. 
And then he also brought up how he thinks of Gordon as like Draymond Light, admitting that he'd sort of heard that uh, Zach Lode made that comparison before. And and it just kind of reminded me that how, how powerful these sort of narratives could be, you know, especially when they come from Zach Lowe, which who I'm definitely not like ripping on. He's extremely good at what he does. He's a, actually a good influencer. Like be way where I'd be way more upset if it was like Stephen A. Smith or something. But I, I think even with Lowe, like I don't think we understand how powerful of an influencer he really is. Like I, I have this whole theory that Rudy Gobert got third team all NBA last season um, over Cat, because Low was he like did a whole pod like he did his whole podcast about it and did like ten minutes comparing you know Gobert to Cat and why he ultimately chose Gobert and my my theory is that there's only a hundred people who vote for those All NBA awards and I would bet that a vast majority of them listened to Low or read Low like talk about why he thought Gobert was over Cat. Now, maybe Gobert was over Cat, and I think you can make a, a an argument there, but it was at least close. And I, I just, I, I te- some of the people I know who have votes, I like, they texted them, and and a couple of them even said, they were like, oh, yeah, I'm on the fence between Gobert and Cat, but I was listening to Lowe, and yada, 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 he said, this is why Gobert. So, I, I don't know, that's that's kind of an aside, but that this happens, like, where the national analysts, even the smart ones, like Lowe, or, you know, whatever, Kevin Arnimitz, Kevin O'Connor, whoever, Howard Beck, like, if they say something, we, we trust that they've been watching them. Which, I, again, I definitely think Lowe is watching them. I just think he made it. Like, you remember that the Gobert and Cat, the Gobert and Cat vote wasn't even close. When, when I think it was actually a, a close question, like, Gobert kind of ran away with it. I think Gobert ran away with it because of Zach Lowe. But whatever, that's just that's just my side theory. And to get back to the Draymond Green, you know, for Gordon comp, um, I've also heard Lowe make that numerous times. I listen to his podcast. Um, I think just Lowe is, has taken an interest in Gordon in Orlando because he is an interesting player as just kind of like a potential trade candidate. But I, I think this Draymond Green comparison w- was taken out of context. Like, Lowe was suggesting that's something he might be able to do. The, the things that Draymond Green is something that Gordon might be able to do. And it's it was ideological. It wasn't it isn't what Gordon does. Like what what Green is asked to do for the Warriors at the power forward position is night and day different than what Gordon is asked to do for the Magic. Just like on a real basic level, Draymond Green is like a extremely conservative shooter. But Gordon is a jacker. Like he takes so many bad shots. Like right there, that's night and day different. But I think it, the most noteworthy is how they like use those guys. Where like what's Draymond best at offensively? Like he's a he's an elite ball mover, and I think that shows up most when he goes and sets a high screen for Steph Curry or KD or whatever. And then he kind of rolls and he catches it on the short roll, kind of drives towards the basket. And, you know, find someone to kick at. Like, I think peak Draymond may be the best player in the NBA at that specific thing. If that's who Draymond is, then Gordon can't be that because Gordon doesn't set screens. So uh, Gordon has set 23 ball screens in pick and roll actions this year, according to Synergy. They don't, Orlando doesn't use him to do that. Vucevic in that role, and Vucevic has missed some time this season, has set 276 pick and roll screens that's that's 26 per 
26.3% of the possession, possessions Vucevic is involved in, he's setting a ball screen. For Gordon, it's 2.5%. So, I, I mean, as Lowe was saying, could Gordon become a screener and ball mover like Draymond? Maybe, but but he's never done that. So it's it's based in theory, not off of something we've really seen. I, I do think the comp works for those two players a little bit more defensively, but it breaks down when you acknowledge that Draymond might have the highest bas- defensive basketball IQ in the NBA. That isn't even a rip on Gordon, who I, I do think is a good defender, but it just... <laughs> maybe this is just about that it's really hard to compare... Draymond Green to anyone. Um, I just, I don't think it works. Uh, I, I tried to, it's harder to isolate for, for defense when, you know, trying to dig into Gordon's game. Some, you can't just like go to NBA.com and click on defense. Like you can click on shots or assists. And they just start playing for you. So, so it's harder for me to totally gather it, but I will say this. I, I do think Gordon could become a high level defender. He like definitely has the tools physically. Um, I think for him, you know, it's, as it is for most of these guys, it's about want to. It's about, you know, committing to it every position, possession. Um, it is worth noting that Orlando has been top 10 in defense the past two seasons. I didn't realize that. Um, and, and Gordon deserves credit there, particularly when you consider that he's he's playing the majority of his minutes next to Vucevic, who is not a strong individual defender. He's big and slow. But Vucevic's net rating is better with Gordon than any of the other Orlando, the other four players he plays with most in Orlando, like Gordon helps defensively. And it's, I think for us, as we're thinking about this through like the, the cat lens. And if we kind of turn off Gordon and just think about, again, existentially about the power four position, we got to think about guys who have had, um, you know, a history of, of helping, you know, a, a center who is not strong, you know, as an individual defender. It's why I've talked about, Paul Millsap before and and kind of how Denver has blown up in a good way defensively since Millsap came there next to Jokic. Um, we got to, you know, kind of got to look for those guys and Gordon, Gordon like does, does check that box. So yes, I, I think Gordon could be an impactful offensive player and a really good defender, but, but I'm just not seeing any Draymond in, uh, in what he's been doing. So uh, again, like Lowe seemed to say, I think, that whole comp is more ideological. Um, but it's, yeah, it's just, it's just not what I saw when I was watching it. Speaking of Zach Lowe, um, I just took some notes while, while I was watching Gordon play. And as Lowe does kind of every week with his, um, his 10 things that he likes and doesn't like, I went through and, and listed some things that I liked and disliked, uh, from watching Gordon. And unfortunately I think I'll start with a dislike because it's just the, it's the most glaring thing, and it's that shot selection. It's a it's a big problem for for Aaron Gordon. Uh, he Orlando uses Gordon a lot, like how Minnesota used Wiggins this year when Wiggins wasn't running the point. Like think the they they run like a four out surrounding Vucevic, and Gordon kind of starts in the corner like Wiggins would around Cat when Cat was kind of looking to move inside, um, and Gordon would raise up from the corner as Wiggins would catch up high in their offense again similar to Wiggins and and in this like the defense kind of has to shift and Gordon is like fast enough and decisive enough to take advantage if there's a seam there and just instantly be able to penetrate to the rim but just like raising (laughs) raising a player up right there is not like a complicated action it rarely it doesn't really confuse the defense that often 
Um, more often than not, the defense like adjusts and still finds a new sort of shell, right? Um, the problem, I think, with Gordon is he will still penetrate if the, if the, even if the seam isn't there. He'll just kind of run into the shell, and right before he gets to the shell of the defense, he'll just pull up from mid-range. And that's, that's really bad, bad news. Because <laughs> Gordon has made 25.4% of his 126 shot attempts from mid-range this season. That's um, awful, like awful, awful. Uh, he, he just doesn't even con- like hesitate when considering pulling that. And that's even, that's even more concerning. I think worse, and I, w- I would say this is kind of a coaching thing too, is the majority of them come off the dribble. Gordon has taken 141 pull-up twos this season and only made 28.4% of them. He also plays off the bounce in the perimeter when he's not a great shooter. Like it's just kind of, it just kind of is the way it is like dribbling before you shoot, you know, kind of decreases your three point percentage of your catch and shoot. Those are the cleaner looks nearly a third of Gordon's threes come off the dribble. And he's also only made 28.4% of those pull-up threes. 28.4% 28.4% from two on pull-ups, 28.4% from three on pull-ups. Now, we, we can rip on the Minnesota offensive system, and um, I, I have at times. But what we got to say, we, what we know is that that wouldn't fly in Minnesota. Like, they would just say, you know, Aaron, you're, you're making 28.4% of your pull-up twos and 28.4% of your pull-up threes. It makes no sense that you've taken 141 of those from two and only 67 of those from three, like, that's no, <laughs> you can't do that. And, again, the, the Wiggins, this is the parallel to draw here, right? Like, he cut his volume of mid-range shots in half this season. Wiggins, you know, he shot a greater percentage of his shots this year in Minnesota within five feet of the hoop than he did the year before. And his field goal percentage on those shots went up from from 55.8% to 64.9%. Massive jump. Like, if Gordon could come to Minnesota – and obliged by the shot selection requirements like Wiggins did, he would likely feel a boost in his efficiency because the system is literally catered towards creating space for those looks. Like we we saw that with Wiggins. Um, related kind of here is like related to mid-range is that Gordon also like posts up a lot, but also, as I was saying before, fades away on those. So he, he even increases his mid-range like volume in another way. Like that's why he's taken so many of those is, is he's, He's catching on the block and fading away to like 12 feet for a fadeaway shot. And that's just another, I mean, it's not always mid-range, like red, bad, but you hit like this critical mass where you're like, okay, you're killing your efficiency. And, and that's a, that's a big reason why he's killing his efficiency is he's taking so many of these shots that he's not good at making and they're not valuable shots because they're only worth two points. What, what's, I think is exciting is that when he isn't doing that, he is so powerful. So, like, my first like or whatever would be his power. Like, when, when Gordon decides this is a time to be powerful, he is he's very difficult to stop inside. Um, it, it's weird. I, I mentioned that the fade away, fading away thing, he, he just he fades away when he's being guarded by a tall guy and goes through short guys. Like, it doesn't matter. doesn't matter how strong the tall guy is or how strong the short guy is. Like, if you're tall, he's fading away because he's afraid to get blocked. If you're short, he's going through you. As well, like the one game he was playing against the Washington Wizards, he's being guarded by Davis Bertans, who is six foot ten, but like looks like a toothpick. But if Bertans was on him, he was like, oh, "Dude, six ten, I'm fading away." But then they were running this where he's getting this switch where Bradley Beal's on him, 
Now, Bradley Beal is like more squat and looks to be strong, but he's only 6'3". And Gordon would just go straight through him and, and finish at the rim. So it's, it's this weird thing where all of Gordon's like interior decisions seem to be so based on, on who his, his defender is. And I think to get to another dislike, I think it's a, I think it's like classical conditioning based on his size. He's, he's not, he, okay. So at the combine, he measured six, seven and a half without shoes, which is pretty tall. It's like what we normally think of as like a guy who's just that six, nine and his wingspan was seven feet. Neither of those are like exactly small. And you would think with this really good athleticism that like getting his shot blocked wouldn't be a problem. But 6'9", tall, and 7 feet long isn't, like, that long either. There, there's there's a lot of guys in the league who are defending him who, who are longer than that, and it's it's where Gordon gets in, gets in trouble. Like, he gets blocked all the time. Um, again, it sounds weird, but if, if he's not, like, coming off of two feet and, like, powering up through for, like, a hook shot or for a dunk, and he's, like, kind of driving or euro-stepping or pump faking, like, he's getting blocked all the time. Well, the one game that really stood out was Bam Adebayo just destroyed him. Now Bam's awesome defensively, and he's like, he's like the perfect kryptonite for for a player like Gordon who struggles against that. But it's it was even like le- lesser defenders who were just long, who were taller than him, or ju- or maybe not taller is the right word, but had a higher standing reach than him. He just he would just get blocked at the rim all the time, which I do think is a product of him being big, but not necessarily that long. Um, I don't know that that sort of stood out to me. On the other side, of, on the other side of it though, with his size and his physicality, he uses well, and that really that really shows up in offensive rebounding. He he just uses his size and strength there a lot better when he doesn't have the ball. He does this sort of weird thing where he just a shot goes up and he kind of like stands up straight and like lean, puts his weight on the guy who's trying to box him out, and so then when, when that guy like tries to get the rebound, Gordon's basically on top of him and then Gordon has this great athleticism so he's just able to like kind of spring up and grab the rebound without going over the back or he's just he had it shocked me how many tip in like offensive rebounds he had he's just like a big the ball's up there I'm going to tip it like three times I think this actually kills his field goal percentage is he'll miss like two or three shots at the rim after offensive rebounds and then a fish eventually just have it, grab it, and dunk it. I, that has to have be impacting his 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 field goal percentage. But I do I do really think it's a it's a really big weapon for him. Like when he when Aaron Gordon is using his power in the paint, there's like he is he is hard he's he's hard to stop for for anyone. Um, another like would be his his cutting ability. And I I don't think we've seen this to its full extent in Orlando, but I I think Gordon could be a special cutter. Um, it, it's maybe this is getting it to be a tired comparison, but it's just like Wiggins. Um, when we remember when Wiggins was cutting, like he couldn't really make bad decisions. Like he couldn't pull up and fade away from three or make a dumb pass or whatever. He would just, all he could do is just kind of had it there and he had to dunk it and it was great. Um, I, I think Gordon, given that power I was talking about, I think he could be an even better cutter than Wiggins is because he has a lot of, you know, the speed and athleticism that made Wiggins so dynamic in that way. But Gordon would have the, the strength. It, it's, it's again, it's weird. But when, when you're watching him and he's kind of like flying to the rim on a cut, he just stops thinking. He stops calculating how tall the guy is defending him. And he just kind of explodes. He's really damn explosive. Uh, it, it's where, it's where, it's on these cuts where his athleticism shows up the most. The rest of the game you watch him and you're like, oh, it's like, it's like a strong guy who's quick. 
But when he's cutting, um, I, I remember one one play came up and he, he tried to dunk it and he missed it. And I was like, oh, that that's the first time he's tried to dunk in this whole reel that he, that he missed it. He's just there is so much power behind it and he and he's up so fast and powerful. Like that's the way he's like Zion, but he just doesn't get in those situations enough. And I I do think that's a product of his environment in Orlando. Like that plays slow. I I think of pace as like um as an extension of cutting. You know, the the whole idea is to like use speed to take advantage of space against like a reeling defense and that's kind of like that's what pace is. That's what like that's cutting is the micro example of that. And I, I think in playing in a system more reliant on pace, like Minnesota's, for Gordon, I think that would like pat down so many of the things that I think limit his effectiveness. He has trouble once he has to start like slowing down. Get him in a big pace and space situation where he can slash to the, like the rim, receive a pass on the move. Like you're not, you're just not stopping that guy. And I think that that to me was the most. That's why I was like, okay, I could see this. Like, I could really, I could really see this work if the Wolves are going to be like a top three team in pace next year, and they're really running it with with D'Lo and some of these other wings. Like, and you have if you have Jake Lehman like flanking him, and you have Aaron Gordon. Like, you got a team that could be really, really dangerous. I think in transition, um, and and then that that's that is where I'm just like, this is where Aaron Gordon would fit like a glove. And so it kind of, honestly, maybe this is just the nature of watching somebody a bunch, but you kind of come to like them a little bit more after really watching them play. And I, I would say that's true for me to like to, to some extent, um, but mostly because watching him made it so clear to me what his deficiencies are, um, like on the offensive end. And it, but it highlighted so many of these little things where you're like, man, if we just gave him more of the, those things, more situations like that, like this guy could be special. I imagine it's it's like what a, a non Timberwolves fan would have thought of Wiggins had they really like watched him play over the past few years, they'd have seen like the tantalizing stuff that we'd seen and be like, wait, like this guy isn't complete trash. Like he he could be good, and I'm not I'm definitely not saying the Wolves need another Wiggins because I don't think they needed Wiggins's mentality. Like, but they they could use a player with Wiggins's skill set and and oddly enough like. I know we more so think of Wiggins as like a two guard and Gordon as a four, but I don't know. There, there's definitely parallels there for, for the positive but between those two. And, and I just don't think those things for Gordon fit well into what Steve Clifford wants to do in Orlando. Just like, I don't think um, Wiggins fit into what Tom Thibodeau wanted to do in Minnesota when he was there. Like or- Orlando has been 26 and 24th in pace over the past two years. They run so much of what they do on both offense and defense based on Vucevic. And I don't I don't see that changing anytime soon. I think it would make sense, you know, for Orlando, you know, if, if they could pull back positive value for him, I, it would make sense to me if I was Orlando's GM to be like, this just doesn't really fit into what we want to be doing. So I don't know if if we line it up with Minnesota, like, is, is a draft pick compensation that Orlando would want. The Wolves obviously have that. They're going to have, like, the third pick and the 15th pick this year. Like, you know, how, how much – where are we at? Where are we at in value now if, we're putting, if you're putting Gordon on the table? Gordon is set to earn $18.1 million next season and 16.4 the season after that. Like, he's he's a good player, but that's, like, enough money where you're not, he's not just this, like, massively positive asset. 
Like, I don't think it would necessarily take that much to pull him away from Orlando. And it, it kind of, I don't know. So is it the pick that you start thinking of other things? There's Josh Okogie, I guess, is a positive asset. Um, but but then, and, and I don't just say this because I'm always hard on Culver, but Culver, Culver's the interesting kind of piece there to me if I'm thinking about Minnesota-Orlando swap. Like, I, I do, I believe Jared Culver would be better in a different type of system. I think... I think he would fit more in an older school system. I think, I think this sort of just total floor spacing thing is 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 not for him. Um, offensively, I, I think a, a system where he's allowed to like come in and take some mid range shots would actually be a good thing for Jared Culver, rather than you know kind of how we've seen him be used. And and defensively with Culver on a team that's been so bad at it, it's it's hard to, it's hard for him to even really shine. Like I I, I do I don't know I. In a vacuum, I think if Jared Culver played on the Orlando Magic next season, he'd be better than if he played on the Minnesota Timberwolves next season, just based sort of on fit. I, I Obviously, I don't know if that's true. I don't know if Orlando would, would find that attractive, but that's kind of you know kind of what I'm thinking as, as an, an outgoing piece. James Johnson, he's set to earn $16 million next season. That's the most obvious salary match, right? Um, would, would Johnson and Culver be attractive to Orlando? Orlando would probably need to send back a little bit more money, but, um, or I don't know, or would Orlando rather have a draft pick than Culver? Maybe that 15th pick this year, um, that, that Brooklyn pick is James Johnson in the Brooklyn pick. Is that, is that intriguing? If you're Orlando, do you need more or less? I don't know. I, I, I hate doing this because some people are like, Oh yeah, obviously. Right. No, no, it need to be way more. I don't know. I'm just throwing out examples. Um, there's only so many that we can kind of put together. The, the other one I was thinking of is like Hernan Gomez. Obviously, he's expiring, but could there be some sort of sign and trade where Hernan Gomez, who's probably a better shooter, you know, than um, than Gordon, would that would that fit better in Orlando around Vucevic as a floor spacer? Could we do some sort of sign and trade where Hernan Gomez is going there, maybe with Culver, maybe with a pick? Um, could we make the money match up in that sort of way? I don't. To me, there's just because Gordon isn't like some sort of max guy. He's at he's at a number that fits around that James Johnson number again, eighteen million next year for. For Gordon, there you have to match. Like I, I, I could see, I could connect the dots to to make some sort of trade, you know, work there. But you know, maybe I don't know. It's it's impossible to know what Gordon's value is. It's harder to know how interested Minnesota would be. Um, that that sixteen point four million on the books for Gordon in twenty twenty one twenty two, that's an issue, um, not just for Minnesota but for everyone. Being as that is, you know, the big summer of all the free agents, like. Does any team want to take on 16 million for a guy they don't necessarily love? Like then you're just eating into any any space you might have available. But then you apply that to the whole league, and like if everyone wants to hoard their 2021 cap space, doesn't that theoretically like decrease Gordon's overall value? Maybe then could he be had for for cheaper than we think? Is that worth you know giving up in the summer of 2021? I don't know, but um, again, it, it's. It's one of those hypothetical trades where you go, I can at least see some logic in this for both sides. But maybe I'm reading the whole power forward archetype thing wrong. I don't know. It's this big lingering question that I always have in my head of like, what the hell is going going to go on in the front court? How do we make this work? How do we find this balance of what they clearly are prioritizing offensively from that position and finding a way to balance it defensively? I don't know. Does, Does his... Does Gordon's poor three-point shooting just rule him out? 
does that just rule him out in Rosa's eyes? I would get that, you know, to some extent. If a Kogi and Culver are going to be part of the big picture, it's hard to see them investing in a power forward who doesn't shoot the ball well. I get that. I just think with some adjustments to Gordon's game and to the Wolves roster, I could see it. Like a power forward with wing skills who could approximate some of that Andrew Wiggins role that no one on the roster can really approximate anymore. It, 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 it lines up. I don't know. Maybe Minnesota also thinks that Zach Lowe thinks like Zach Lowe and feels like Gordon could become more like Draymond offensively. You know, throw him in the dunker spot and get him to be the screen setter. He's never been before. That's kind of like what Jordan Bell was doing in the time that he played offensively. They seem to be cool, like, with playing him alongside Cat. There's, you know, some archetype comparisons there to be made, I think. Um, I don't know. And this front office just isn't afraid of getting guys to try things they haven't really done before. Like, I don't know. Does it, if you think about it, like, as, you know, we do the Houston North sort of thing, the Houston model and this Minnesota model, and you put them together, is, is Gordon maybe something like Clint Capella while also being kind of something like Andrew Wiggins kind of squished all together? I don't know. Even if it isn't Aaron Gordon, when I'm thinking of potential fours of the future of Minnesota, that, that this is the lens I'm looking at it through. That's the, that's the archetype of big, I think. Like, can you be a modern big, but you can, can you be a Minnesota version of a modern big? Like, that's, that's the question. We don't know exactly what, the, <laughs> what that is, but I'd like uh, to think it's something that looks like Aaron Gordon. That's what I got for this week. Um, thank you for sticking with the pod and with what I'm working on, its own coverage. It's, uh, it's a time where I could still be you know, writing articles, so be, be checking that out. I'm, I will um, put some of these clips together into an Aaron Gordon article so you can see some of that, see some of the video stuff that I was talking about. So um, look, look for that there. Again, if you have suggestions or things you'd like me to go into, uh, please send those to me on Twitter um, or via email at dmore at zonecoverage.com. I do promise to get into the draft at some point. I know a lot of people, um, that's something people have been asking a lot about, and it, uh, I'm with you. It sounds like a good time to dig into that. Uh, the draft has just never really been my thing. I am clearly care way more about the, the NBA, but uh, I don't know. Sometimes what is necessity enforces invention. I guess I'm going to need to be a draft guy. Um, so I, it's just, it's harder to get, it's harder for me to get video on that than it is than what's, you know, available at NBA.com with the NBA players. But I promise at some point we'll get into the draft and, and go through some of that for other smaller sort of like bit questions. I am still doing a mailbag every Wednesday at zone coverage. So you can, you can send me questions there. Maybe I'll answer those more in, uh, in written form there. And then sort of bigger picture stuff, We'll look to attack in bigger articles or here, you know, here on on the podcast. I do hope to eventually um, be able to get this back to uh, being a podcast with a guest because I don't want to talk to myself for 45 minutes. But um, it is just with the, the gear that I have right now and wanting to have sound quality not be trash. Um, trying to figure out some of those sort of things. But eventually, you know, we'll have Charlie be back. Got to talk to Britt, um, a couple other people, and, and do do some more conversational things with the pod here too. But as this has been an adjustment, these this week has been an adjustment for all of your lives. It has been for mine too, and you know for my work working from home is a little bit is a little bit tougher here. Um, but I look forward to keep doing it. Thank you again for listening. As always, please pass this pod on to a friend um, you might think is 
bored enough at home uh, to listen to it, I'm sharing it in any way you can always helps, even if that's just like a, a rating and review on iTunes. I appreciate that. Again, stay safe. Till next week, I'm Dane. Peace out. How I'm feeling, man, I hope it never stop, yeah. Green it hard so you can find me in the crowd, yeah, yeah. Don't let standards ever, ever bring you down, yeah. Hope you dancing like nobody else around, yeah.